Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. The next question, what, why is, I get this one all the time, why is sex addiction not about sex when sex is the end result? Um, because this is a process addiction. And what the word process addiction means is that we are addicted to the whole process. When I start to think about, oh, maybe I could be with this person and maybe you're going to be away for Thanksgiving. So maybe the minute I think of you being away for Thanksgiving, my heart skips a beat, a little bit of hormones are released in my brain. I get a little bit excited emotionally. And then I think, oh, you're gone for Thanksgiving. Well, let me just look online to see what I'm going to do on Thanksgiving. Can I hook up? Can I go to massage? You know, what can I do? Because I know already that I'm free. And the closer it gets to it, I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to, to make sure there's enough money in the bank. Um, let me think about when, you know, you can leave a message and you won't wonder where I am. In other words, as I am preparing for it, I get incredible excitement about the fantasy which takes me out of what's going on emotionally with me. And I become excited about that. And then that starts to move to the behavior itself, which is really distracting and really exciting. By the time I get to the actual sex, that's the shortest part of the whole thing. Because when you have a process addiction, you're addicted to the whole process. And I might have sex for 10 minutes, but I might be thinking about it for 10 days. And every time I think, I'm like, oh, that could be exciting. And oh, they haven't called me back yet. And long before the holiday happens. So by the way, these are opportunities. And the good news about this is I have many opportunities to say, oh, look when I do that. Look when I think that way. That's when I need help. If you think about the acting out as being the shortest part, then, and this is something we talk about in treatment, there are so many opportunities along the way, away, along the way to learn what is problematic thinking and what do I do instead? What are problematic actions? This is stuff for the addict um, to be able to intervene on these pieces before they get all the way to the act. So all I can tell you is, yes, um, the sex is like the carrot that gets dangled and the thing I'm chasing toward, but in the chase, it's really, really exciting. It's like horses going around a track. You know, it isn't just the exciting part when they actually go across the line. Everyone's cheering when they go around. I know that's a terrible metaphor, but for us, it's about the whole process from excitement to shame. Um, and by the way, no matter how badly we feel afterward, um, as Tammy said, like the next morning, I'm ready to go again, you know. Uh, I'll feel bad for a day or two, and then all that bad feeling will fade away. And I've heard that from you spouses. Boy, after the last time and what we went through, you would think that they would have stopped this. Well, emotionally, they've moved way on from the last time, and they're all ready to bring it on again and start all over again, uh, because consequences do not bring about change. Um, motivation brings about change. So, hey, Tammy, that was, that means it's time. That was great. No, it's all good. So the next one, I'm a, pee, a porn addict and I recently had a relapse last mm. month. My partner is fed up and she sees it, but she sees that I'm working even harder now. I want her to be able to trust me again, but even with a filter on my phone, she doubts that I'm staying sober. We are best, we are best friends and, and have been sharing our feelings way more uh, now than ever, but she still doesn't believe that I'm trying my very best. And he added, sorry, to, I forgot to ask, what are ways I can help her trust and believe me? Um, well, 
I appreciate that you're working harder. Um, again, there's to me, and I'm going to say it again, and I, I'm going to say it a hundred times, uh, your focus doesn't fully seem to be on you. You know, you had a relapse. I recently had a relapse. Um, I didn't see what does working harder mean? You know, are you going to multiple meetings a week? Are you checking in with a sponsor? Have you joined that therapy group? We teach entry-level sex addiction courses and we teach entry-level porn addiction courses. Have you signed up for something? You know, what? one of the things that um, that I always, one of the ways I work when I work with clients to help them avoid shame is when they're acting out, I never say, how could you do that or what's wrong with you? You know, I say, you must need a lot more support. And so you need to go to two meetings a week instead of three. And so in any case, your immediate turn in this is, I want her to be able to trust me again, um, but she doubts me and we're friends and we've been sharing feelings. And, you know, I just wonder why are you even doing any of this? Because the, your focus is on making her happy. And every man who comes to treatment is seeking integrity. I know this for a two one. They come in thinking this is to save my relationship. And somewhere along the way with the hard work, they reach a level where they say, wow, this is really for me. It doesn't mean they're not terrified the relationship is going to go away. But but there is something that happens when you realize that I cannot live this way anymore, whether someone stays with me or someone doesn't. And that's kind of not what I hear in here. I hear a lot of, well, I'm doing this because if they're fed up, but maybe if I work harder and I prove to them this and I prove to them that, that it, it's exactly the last question. What do I need to do to get them to do something? It doesn't work that way. What I don't see is a, uh, a paragraph about, well, I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And I'm really, I see too much focus on the person outside of you. So I'll go back to where I was before, which is one day at a time. What are you looking at today? What is your priority today? All of that is in the past. She doesn't trust you. Can't do anything about that. And I don't know tomorrow whether you're going to act out or get married. But what are you doing today to focus on you um, rather than the outcome of what you do on someone else? Because that's not why you do this work. You may come into this work saying, I want to save my relationship. But at some point you have to cross over, which I haven't seen yet, and say, I, I want to live differently. Um, and you'll get there. Uh, you may have a few more relapses in the process because look at it this way. If she's in a, if she goes away for the weekend in a bad mood, does that mean you're going to relapse because you're all upset that she went away? Or if she says she doesn't want to be with you anymore, is there still motivation to get well? Um, so I would have less focus on someone else and more on you. I, I agree. I put the, uh, the work group, the porn addiction 101 starts on Saturday there's still room. You may sign up for that. That would be an action that you are doing something. You would have a solid recovery plan. As you come out of that, you would have connection to other peers. I hope you are joining the uh, free drop-in groups on, on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. Again, it's connection, healthy connection, not just with your person that you've betrayed because you know, you've already hurt her. I, I'm always concerned when I hear an addict going, what do I need to do to help her? I'm like, yes, there is help her heal and all of those things, but that's down the road. You working on having a plan to interrupt the, you know, the like if you're triggered, what do you need to do? You know, what do you need to do before you act out and have to go, oh, I'm sorry, you know? And was it a slip? Did you tell her within the allotted time, whatever you've agreed to, or did she find out, you know, that's a whole nother thing too. So, you know, so filters on phones are helpful. They really are your therapist or your sponsor getting the report. That's really helpful. There's so much, 
there's, it's a learning process. You can learn lots on our, you know, our work groups and our free resources. You can learn a lot. Hopefully she is also participating in the free betrayed partner groups. And we've got a work group starting again in January. That's how this is. This is a lifelong process. You know, I was talking to somebody earlier today and they're like, you know, a cure. And I'm like, there's, there's no cure for this. There's just doing the work on a daily basis so that we continue on a recovery road, you know, um, in my 12 step, one of my 12 step meetings, you know, they read, you know, the road to happy destiny. And I, I like, it's quirky because it's, you know, part of the old language from, you know, from the 12 steps. But I, like, I, like I have this little vision of, you know, all of us in recovery on the road to happy destiny, you know, and we can be, but we got to do the work. There are bumps there. on that road, by the way. Yes, there are. It's the road to happy destiny, but it isn't, you know, without obstacles. Ready um, for the next one? I, the one I, I just want to say to this person who said correction, the one thing you cannot create is willingness, as I absolutely agree. And I'm yeah. so glad you said that because um, I cannot, none of us can create that part of a person who feels like they want to be a better person. They have to want that because the road yeah. is rough and the road is long and you have to want something because you're going to be doing it a long time. Um, and I want to just say something about chronic. I know that spouses don't want to hear this, but I said to the guys today, you know, we're mentally ill. We have an emotional or mental illness. And you can see that because if someone is depressed, then um, their depression will reappear when they're under stress. And when someone has mania, their mania is much more likely to reappear when they're under stress. And that stress can be internal or external. And for us, it's really the same thing. We are managing a chronic disorder that under stress, we really need to focus on how to manage. That's what Tammy meant by halts. You know, you know, you know you're under stress when you're hungry, angry, angry, lonely, tired. So and stressed. I added yeah, stress a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So um so uh, I agree with you completely. Um, there is a part of me that has to want to be uh, open and ready to have it happen. So next question. Well, I'm going to take a public service announcement for us because somebody reminded me at the beginning of this that we, we you uh, a couple of weeks ago asked for Yelp and Google um, reviews. If you're appreciative of any of this work, we would so, so appreciate you adding to the Google and Yelp reviews, um, you know, any feedback. I also do um, add them. I don't personally add them, but I submit them for um, our website anonymously. So um, anything that you're willing to um, share, uh, we we really appreciate um, the help and and getting the word out. So, okay. And wait, I want to say something to me because it really isn't marketing. Because I really think our work is quite good on a whole bunch of levels. And when some, you know, my experience with some of the websites is that people who are angry or upset or disappointed will write in, in the first, I hated that pizza, but there are a hundred people who love that pizza, but they don't write in. They just tell their friend, oh, that's a great restaurant. And so we have had some folks who wrote some really nasty things. In fact, I have to tell you, Tammy, that someone bought Prodependence and they thought it was a book on how to work through their codependency. And so they went on Amazon and they wrote this scathing review. This didn't help me with my codependency at all. Now that they missed the entire point, but they wrote something really awful, which, you know, 
affects how I feel like I'm viewed because that's the world we live in. So, and I can't change it. So anyway, yeah, we've had people say good things and bad things, but we do appreciate just for our own, for our own stuff that we don't look like the worst people in the world. <laughs> um, so um, let's We're do doing the best question. we can. Okay. Is there a benefit from a marital abstinence period for a couple when the husband has a porn addiction, not sex addiction? If so, what are the benefits? Do you feel that there would be a significant additional benefit from a marital abstinence period if our sex life has drastically improved just since he stopped watching porn and started therapy? Is 90 days necessary or is a period helpful? you get this a lot you with the 90 days and all of that too i know yeah i'd like so. to start with that which there are some okay. um there's some kind of um folks who wrote about recovery and they had some really good ideas about the porn issue but they weren't very trained in how the brain works and so there was this sort of equation that came out which has really become very popular in the porn addiction community that says your brain will reset after 90 days. And if you just take 90 days of abstinence, then your brain will reset. Well, I, I don't know what a reset is. Lord knows I would love a reset button on my brain, but uh, Tammy's nodding her head too. Um, but the brain evolves. So every day I am taking my care of myself. I'm, I'm not acting out. I'm connecting with the people I love. The brain adjusts and adapts and changes. But, you know, that doesn't happen at 90 days. It doesn't happen at any set period. It happens over time as the person evolves, right? So there's no, as Tammy said, there's no answer. There's no spot you get to. It's an evolution of your own thinking and your connections. So going, but so that's the 90 days are necessary or is any particular period helpful? Um, number two, I don't know what this person has done or not done, but there's something really lovely to me about your have, being sexual with each other and enjoying each other. I think that, and I don't mean to say it's different because I know that spouses don't feel like it's different, but when someone has been sitting alone in, their, in a room in the dark, being sexual with images online, like I my experience of many port addicts, it's a really beautiful thing to me that now they are lying with you and touching with you and being focused on you and each other. Um, and I wouldn't want to say, you know, well, because they could, they, because they did this porn thing that now we're not going to be sexual. I would think like maybe now is a great opportunity for you to connect. Now, before you all attack me, I'm going to say, I'm not talking about sexting affair partners, okay? I'm not talking about the person who sat there and hired sex workers and had a lot more going on and had interactive things. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person who sits and looks at porn for three hours and they're just lost in it. The meaning of them going to connection and back to connection is, is strong and it's a motivation. Connection is always a motivation. So I think the other side of it is, you know, how you have to feel safe. And I don't know when images were seen. I don't know how it left you feeling about yourself. Um, and, you know, sometimes people will say, I don't look like those images. And if that's what you wanted, then why are you looking at those? And, you know, I don't know how you, this has left you feeling about yourself. Um, and you will always hear me say on this, well, wherever I talk that uh, if you don't feel safe with someone, if you don't trust them, why would you have sex with someone you don't trust? Why would you mm -hmm. have sex with someone that you don't feel safe with? You know, and I know when I was dating, well, not me because I was a sex addict, but I know generally when people are dating, they don't have sex with people they don't trust, you know, and they certainly don't have sex with people they don't feel safe with. 
but we feel like we should with our partners. And that's, you know, it's been going on for a while and all that. No, you spouses need to feel safe and you need to trust. And if that means that you choose to be abstinent, that's for you. Um, but again, in every one of these, Tammy, you know, what I hear is, should I be sexual or not based on, will that help him or her? Will they have a benefit from us being um, abstinent? And I would rather you decide what you want for yourself and then turn to the addict and the addict will say, you know, that's okay with me. I'm allowed to do that. Or that's not okay with me. I'm, you know, your side of the street and their side of the street. So um, I would feel better if it was the two of you writing together and going through this question rather than you on your own. Um, so, but is 90 days necessary or any period helpful? Every period is helpful. Every day is helpful. Every week is helpful. Every month, the more time you can get, the better. Um, in terms of the recovery piece. But in terms of how long you're away from sexuality, I think that depends on how, how far down the rabbit hole you've gone. Um, oh. Okay, next question, you ready? Yes, ma'am. My ma husband has been a porn addict for 24 years of our marriage. I have caught him several times. He finally got help a year and a half ago, only for me to accidentally witness him doing porn and masturbation in April of this year. He has been in meetings since then, but I know he lies about his recovery. He says he's not comfortable in the essay meetings as he's different. He is a textbook addict with denial lying, and he is not willing to do the work to um, the extent I really need him to. And that's really key that I need him to. He said I he like speaks that. to his sponsor weekly if he really has one. I don't want to manage his recovery because it's not my job. This weekend, I asked him to listen to Dr. Rob's podcast, and he did. He said nothing afterwards. I asked his thoughts. He said nothing. I said, maybe it's good you're going away with work as we may both need a break. He only said, I don't need you to take me to the airport. I'll drive myself. I feel like I'm trying and he is not. He also has a habit of lying about small things, you know, which um, he, he uh, like what he ate. So I don't know if I can continue with this. Well, I guess just the first thing I want to say is um, I feel like I'm trying and he is not. That is what's going on. You are trying and he is not. So um, I think that you got it. You have to give yourself a break because you're looking for someone to join you in the things that you really believe in. And he's not joining you in that. You know, 24 years of your marriage um, finally got help, your, help a year and a half ago. And I, I promise you, this was going on before that. I think this was probably going on before he even knew you. Um, but why did he go into, by the way, you know, people who, again, start this journey because they want to be a better person. My comment is always, why didn't you want to be a better person three years ago? And so this man had 22 and a half years to say, I don't want to live like this and I have problems. He lied through the whole way. So now, you know, a year and a half ago, that's not very long for somebody to still be living the way they were living. He's still controlling this. He's still managing this. Um, and I, but, and all of that said, so um, I would not feel safe. I would not trust. I would um, be very careful about um, believing the things that I'm hearing because this doesn't, I'm listening and I don't feel safe. Um, but, uh, and I actually, the thing that went to my head is, about the airport is I immediately went to who is he meeting? Like what is going on there that he doesn't want you to, to go. And I, I really wonder if there's more than porn, you know, it just has that it, something's missing from here and I don't know what it is, but I think it's something we both don't know. Um, 
the one thing that we both love, Tammy, is I need him to, right? I love that because it's not that, I mean, this is very different than what other people have said, which is you didn't say, you know, he really needs to do these meetings and he needs to do that. And if I'm going to really go, you know, continue this, then he needs to see that therapist. And I understand that impulse, but for you to be saying, um, I really want him to do this because it's what I need. I think that's a really beautiful thing because you're speaking to your own safety, your own boundaries, you know, and I, I, I like that much. I mean, you're, what you're doing is kind of embracing yourself rather than pointing a finger. And I don't challenge in a negative way anyone who does that, but I don't think it's productive. Like I said, I think when you point at someone else, they get defensive. And when you talk about what you need and what you feel, they have nothing to push back against. Um, Tammy? Well, I think that, that I, I, you know, obviously picked that too, but I think, so I don't know if I can continue with this. The very end, it's like, you know, right. and for some people, you know, they can't. And and I think that that's one of those decisions, you know, only you can make that, you know, some people are able to stay in a relationship and they just create, you know, a space and safety support so that what the addict does or doesn't do, um, you know, less impacts them. But what I hear is within your primary relationship, the loneliness too, that he's not there. You can't even have a conversation, you know? So one, one thing, maybe Dr. Rob does a one-time two-hour expert consultations, and it can be really helpful in, in clarifying and validating, you know, for sometimes it's the, to the partner, this person absolutely is not willing to get help, but it, but you've at least tried, you know, from that standpoint, sometimes it's dude, you are going to lose this person that you care about. If you don't get help, if you don't get the reality, I'm never in these. So I'm making this up, but I know how Dr. Rob is. So, but you know, I hear from people, you know, consistently after they've completed one of those, it's done via zoom, it doesn't work with people all over the world, but you know, it can be helpful at identifying the issues if somebody's stuck and then guiding next steps. So well, actually, I was going to mention something about that, Tammy, because I went all the way back to the first question. And actually, I thought of it earlier, which is, um, you know, I don't know when to cut my losses. Um, mm. I don't know. I want a sober partner, but I don't know if I'll ever have one. I don't know how to interpret that, you know, is this person a lost cause or not? Or, you know, I think those are reasons to sit with me for a couple of hours, because I think that we can figure out together, you know, is this relationship going forward or not? I will tell you that sometimes couples go to couples therapy and really begin that process because one of them has already made a decision. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, sometimes it, it just really takes sometimes sitting down with someone that is neutral to begin to see, you know, I feel like this person is a lost cause. I mean, th thinking that working that out with someone else present. Um, we got one more, right? Because yes, I know my PA husband and I think, uh, and I think so. Both the porn addicted husband and the spouse think he may be a pathological or compulsive liar. Is there a difference and does it correlate with his addiction? My PH and, and, and I think he may be a pathological compulsive liar is, well, I, I, don't, I don't know what you mean by pathological and compulsive. Um, if you mean, if that means um, sociopathic behavior, like he's stealing money from work and lies about it, that's pathological. You know, when lying crosses the line into, um, I'm going to do whatever I want and just lie about it, um, that's pathology. 
Um, to me, you know, addicts are passive by nature because we get so mad at you that we go over there and act out. So absolutely, I think that also correlates with our addiction, but we learned to lie. We learned to lie really well. And by the way, I learned to lie when I was six. I watched a family that lied all the time. I know other clients who come in and they've had a lot of physical and emotional abuse and they learned that if they told the truth, it wasn't going to go well. And so, you know, it, it isn't, it may not be something specific to your relationship. And it also may not be so much pathological as I have a lot of clients who come in to see us who have trauma and they, their lying is, and one of the things I say, I'll give you a quick answer actually, is one of the things I say to those gentlemen is, look, you, in fact, I say it to me about me. I know you're coming to see me therapy on Monday. And I know based on our conversations that you may lie to me on Monday. But what I expect is by Wednesday morning, you will call me on the phone and say, you know, I wasn't being honest. In other words, I know people who simply in the moment just get, you know, their tongue tied, you know, they were beaten when they told it, who knows why. But what they can do is come back. You can always fix something. May not make you so happy. You may want to hear, well, I want to hear it the minute it happened. But what is more required is that there's honesty. And so... To me, yes, being an addict is to lie. <laughs> to lie is to be an addict. Like they're inseparable in a lot of ways. And I think that's what recovery is about, um, is a lot of really figuring it out, um, uh, going through my character defects. You know, what does it mean to lie? Where do I lie? How do I lie? How do I clean that up? Um, so we don't know until he's really gotten far enough away from the addiction and then deals with assertiveness and you know maybe you know a lot of addicts have no idea what we need we have no idea what we want and uh except that we want it our way by the way so um and i also want to say you spouses it's very important that we don't blow off small lies because it, what i've seen a lot of spouses express and feel is if you're going to lie about something minor how can i ever trust you that you're going to tell me the truth when something really serious has happened and so i say to you addicts you know don't lie about you know you forgot something at the grocery store if you didn't really forget it you know i know that's really minor but if you come home um, it's really, really important that your spouses can trust the little things. Otherwise, like, you know, I heard it yesterday. I was at Home Depot and I texted John and I said, I'll be out in five minutes. Well, I really love Home Depot. And a half hour later, and he said, you know, it's not fair to tell me you'll be out in five minutes when you're going to be out in 30. And it is those little things that seem minor that leave people feeling they're not important or they don't matter or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you really, as a recovering addict, you have to have your word, absolutely meet your actions with your partners. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.